This is the Horse Radio Network. Caroline just returned from the Longines Masters in Paris, which was as much a party as it was a horse show. Re-review Revitavit Therapeutic Systems, talk about two famous show jumpers who plan to tie the knot, and why ambassadorships can be tricky whether you're an Amy or a pro. Thanks for joining us. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jess Payne. And I'm Caroline Culbertson, and welcome to episode 12 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And as I have just returned from Paris, not even 48 hours ago, not even 24 hours ago, yes, well, 24 hours ago, um, we are going to kind of tie up that trip and honor that amazing show, which we'll talk about in a little bit, with a Paris-themed drink. Uh, Justine, break down this awesome cocktail for us. All right. So it's called the French Blonde, which seems fitting for this show, even though none of us are French, but you went to Paris and we're all blonde. So what the heck? <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, it's um, it sounds really fancy. Uh, nothing that I think any of us would ever make at home because it's too fancy for us. But it's uh, you need an elderflower liqueur. Uh, it's gin. It's white lilit, and it's mixed with grapefruit juice, um, and you can use some erythral citrus as, like, a garnish, um, but it looks very fancy and very tasty. We'll have the recipe up on the website so you guys can try it out. What the hell is a cereal citrus? That's just, like, hipster slang. (laughs) Well, I know. That's why I'm asking you. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) So is that just, like like, a fancy garnish or something? I think so. I I don't know 100% for sure, but I think it's oh, an oil, actually. I just Googled it. So it's like a citrus oil. oil. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, fancy, fancy. It's like an edible essential oil kind of thing. I guess most essential oils are supposed to be edible, but I don't really recommend eating them. I tried that oh. once. It wasn't good. Ew. Ew. Is that like that, <laughs> like the people who wash their mouth out with like coconut oil? Is it like one of those weird things? Remember oh, yeah. when people did that? You guys, I have done that. Come Ew. on. Ew. Oh, yeah, I'm like such a weirdo, like naturey, like all the weird natural remedy kind of girl. It's just who I am. It's called oil pulling. And you basically put, it's, it is freaking disgusting, I have to tell you. You put a giant wad of coconut oil in your mouth you try not to vomit because your gag reflex will kick in and you hold it in your mouth for like um like three to five minutes which doesn't sound that long but let me tell you or like 10 seconds before I throw up (laughs) it's like so gross it doesn't taste bad it's just the um like the feeling of it like melting in your mouth because you know like coconut oil is like semi-solid but then when you put it in your mouth, like it starts melting and then you just have this like mouthful of oil, but it's supposed to whiten your teeth. It did make my teeth feel really clean. I don't know that I it think, whitened them. I think it's but. one of those things like cryotherapy that it's like anecdotal and not scientifically proven to help you though. I did it you one know, there's time. There's like whitening nope. toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, what that's I use That's probably instead. the more normal solution. <laughs> but no, it's I like one like of those things. I just like to try it. Yeah, if it works for you, it works for you, man. Yeah. I am an advocate of trying everything except for like illegal drugs and like really, I don't know, other bad things like 
try it once. Just give it a try. And yeah, I wouldn't, I would not personally do it again. Ugh. I don't want to think about it. Ugh. Vomit. Moving on. This episode is presented by EcoGold, a leader in saddle pad innovation. Known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots. Trusted by Olympians. All right, guys. So what news do you have for us today? Uh, Jess, why don't you start us off? I got some good one. Uh, so I follow Kaylee Kuko on Instagram and her boyfriend, pretty much she is Penny from Big Bang Theory. And I love Big Bang Theory. Oh, my goodness. And her and her now fiance, Carl Cook, who's a show jumper. They live out in California. They just got engaged. So show jumping is now trending on social media. So that was kind of cool. Wow. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah, like like national, like like national news where yeah. you know they were talking about this, which was really cool. I was like, I saw it on my phone while um, we were at the show, and I was like, I just saw show jumping on. I can't even remember what national media outlet it was, and I was like, they're talking about show jumping. What? And then I realized what it was, and it, she posted a video of her reaction on oh, Instagram. It's- yeah, and it funny. is so he po- funny. He posted it, and oh, okay. um, and she. It was the funniest thing. I guess they probably both. She probably reposted or whatever, but it is the cutest thing. She was like so excited. She's like, wouldn't even. He's like, you haven't even answered my question. She's like, yes, yes, yes. And I think there were she people was in the like, background. It was really weeping, cute. Weeping, Aww. like yeah. Oh my gosh! Like she was like crying so hard, and. And I guess he, it was her birthday, I think. And she, he had done like all of these like really romantic things for her. Um, Like he'd made her like this, like really romantic dinner and like was going to take her on a trip to Disneyland or Disney world or something like that. And then at the end of the night, I guess he um, proposed and they, they took that video, which I was like, if somebody shoved a cell phone in my face at that moment, I would have like punched. Oh no, they're the cutest couple. They she, like, love it. Yeah. She like videoed it. him. He was like, it's the cutest thing. You've got to follow them on Instagram. It's they're hysterical. really cute yeah. because she'll post like him, like crying after watching like something, you know, like <laughs> That's pretty they funny. literally like, I mean, I'm like, Doug, if you post that on social media, I will murder you. Like <laughs> it is not happening. And the two of them are so funny because no, nope, doesn't really matter. Like it is the cutest thing. Yeah. Well, they're I, did, super I didn't know that she, I didn't know that she was a rider. That's so cool. Yeah. She's, um, she competes under her. a pseudonym though. So like her name, you won't see like Haley Cuoco on an entry list. Oh, Isn't okay. that right, Jess? I don't. I thought she competed under her name. Oh, I know she used to ride under a fake name, but maybe she's. Then everybody kind of caught on and was like, "Okay, we all know you're Kelly Cuoco." Yeah, but she's actually, a she's a show jumper, right? That's what. She yeah, writes. she's a show jumper. I think she's gone through like the one thirties, big enough yeah. stuff, and so or like some small grand prix and everything. But um, yeah, and then Carl Cook obviously is a big time show jumper. But yeah, they're. Both on the big circuit competing, so. That's so cool. That is a good news story. 
That is yeah. good news. It's cute. It's very sweet. Um, I thought this story was so funny and it's just such a typical like knee-jerk reaction. Like people go crazy on social media, like we always talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Mark Todd um posted this video of him riding this tiny little pony. So I guess what happened was uh he was teaching a clinic, and this little girl was riding this precious little pony. It's a 12 hand pony named Dakota. And he hopped on it. And Mark Todd is quite tall. Of course. Um, he's, I think six foot two. I know he's a, he's over six feet. And so anyway, there's this video on social media of, uh, Mark riding this little 12 hand pony. And it is hysterical. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. And he posted, he posted it with like the caption of like, my next eventing superstar and it was you would think obviously a joke and like people went berserk and told him like he was really mean and cruel to this pony for riding he was way too big for this pony and how could you do that and blah 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 and so then he had to post a status on Facebook saying you guys it was a joke and I was on the pony for two all of two minutes and that's not like he was trying to you know and the family wanted him to it was so cute like it was he was was the cutest thing I couldn't believe there was any backlash from it I really felt bad for him because I was like you think it's so cute and you're like oh my gosh it's hysterical and then whatever but we Mark we still love you and now yeah they asked I guess like the little girl asked like will you like will you hop on like she was having a bit of, of trouble the fence was 30 centimeters high. Like, come and on. And he didn't even sit so on the horse's cute. back. Like, he had, he didn't even change the stirrups, I think. So he was like, <laughs> it was so funny. So cute. Ugh. And then he had to say, as a patron of world horse welfare, I would never do anything that compromised <laughs> the well being of a 12 hand pony. Oh what my does God. concern me is that some people actually believe I was serious when I titled the video My Next Superstar. The what internet is ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> like, holy moly. Oh my gosh. But okay, so we're, we'll link, um, you know, his page and everything so you guys can go check out that video because it is the cutest thing in the it world. It is oh, so cute. God. So hilarious. cute. I love it. Justin, Justin you have some yeah. cool, interesting news. Yeah, so mine's a little bit more like serious <laughs> based <laughs> cool. on science. Based I on love science. These. these are the best ones. Science. Um, so there's this really cool story in Newsweek, uh, last week, and it's about, uh, researchers are using horses essentially in, in some way, uh, to come up with a cure for strep throat in humans. So, uh, which is really interesting, but how this came about is, uh, there were a bunch of veterinary researchers, uh, at a, uh, at the Animal Health Trust, which we've written about in Heels Down Magazine before. And they found a way to test for all of the equine strep genes simultaneously. And I guess like human doctors haven't figured out how to do that yet. So there were people who were studying human strep throat at the Houston uh, Methodist Research Institute in Texas. And they were all freaked out, I guess, because they thought they were gonna have to test every individual gene for strep one at a time. And then, you know, these veterinary researchers in the UK called them and were like, nah, you don't have to do it that way. And they showed them this more efficient way to test for gene analysis. And that's all thanks to horses. So 
That's very cool. Science I know. It is cool. Also, I got struck throat earlier this year. Ew. It and it sucks. sucks. Yeah. It hurts. Hurts. Well, that's good <laughs> news. Thanks for sharing. This segment is presented by TRM, Europe's largest manufacturer of nutritional feeds, supplements, and general health care products for horses. Available at Greenhawk. Visit greenhawk.com. So, Caroline, you were just in Paris. How was that? I mean, I, I heard was. it was a big, huge party. It was amazing. Uh, so, we went to the Longines Masters of Paris. Um, the Longines Masters, if you're not familiar, you should be because it's freaking awesome. Uh, it is a three, uh, it's got three legs. So, one uh, in France, and which is the one we just went to, and then there's the second leg is in Hong Kong, um, and that is in February. And then the third is New York. It was previously LA um, this year. It's the first year that they're moving it to New York, and that's in April. It's actually the same weekend as Rolex. Um, so this was the first of the series, um, and they also had the Riders Masters Cup, which was awesome, and we'll come back to that. But so we went over to um, you know cover the show and everything. And like, I've been to, you know, a lot of horse shows for work and it's, it usually feels like work and you, you know, it's, you go to a horse show and you're in the press room and it's pretty routine. And I feel like I just got back from like a week at Coachella. Like it doesn't feel <laughs> oh like gosh. I was at a horse show at all, except, you know, I did not do any sort of like drinking or anything like that, but it was just such a party in a way that I've never seen a horse show. It was the coolest. I think it was the coolest thing. They had, uh, you know, like they had classes, they had three sections. So it was like masters one, masters two, masters three, masters one was like, you know, the really elite show jumpers doing, um, you know, the, the, like it's like the five-star type stuff. Um, and then the masters three was, they had like, you know, amateur riders and junior riders. It was all show jumping. Um, so they would have classes all day and they would do kind of the more elite stuff at, um, in the evening time so that people, people would come out, you know, from Paris and there's like a train that goes to this big expo center that they turned into the grounds for the show. And they just did such a good job of making it not just a horse show. There were tons of people there that obviously it just, you could kind of tell that they, you know, maybe didn't know, like I heard some people talking, they didn't know really as much about horses. They were coming because it was this huge sporting event that, you know, they had DJs and entertainment and they had art shows and really high-end luxury shopping. Wow. They, yeah, wow. it was incredible. It was, it was the coolest thing. <laughs> Because I pictured it more like the Royal, which I've been to in Canada, which was awesome. But it was not like, and then I saw pictures and I was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't even look like they're at a horse show. No, it was such a party. They would have DJs come <coughs> on starting after the classes. So it usually start at 11 p.m. or so. Uh, the classes were all typically pretty late so that people could kind of get off work and then come. And my God those people know how to party. I was like, how many people would you say were like in the audience for these DJs? 
like hundreds of people. And would people come I just for that- the, so people come just for these like big DJs. So you had like big names there. Yes. Really big names. Um, oh. and well, okay. So I'll say this as far as the numbers, uh, I read that there were the number of spectators was in the thousands. So, but that, you know, that's kind of split between, you know, there's the arena and then there's this sort of common area where the DJs are performing and they had this VIP section that was incredible. And they had a Michelin star chef doing all of the food and they had this huge bar where you could get drinks all day, which was awesome. Um, it was just, the whole thing was such an amazing experience and it was in coordination, in coordination with, uh, Salon du Cheval, which I had never been to, or really didn't know much about. It's kind of like equine affair. Um, so it's a big horse expo that there's tons and tons of shopping. All the brands are there and, you know, there were some American brands there, mostly European brands. Uh, and then there's exhibitions. So, um, you know, like, like they'll do like vaulting exhibitions or like Western type exhibitions, like police, the French police horses, I think were there. And it was just, it was the coolest thing. So you could walk around Salon du Cheval during the day or in the morning and then walk over to this really high end experience at the Longines Masters. And yeah, it was the coolest. So That's unbelievable. If anyone ever has the chance to go, and I haven't been to, of course, Hong Kong or New York yet, but judging from the Lungies Masters of Paris, if you ever have a chance to go, you don't even have to have a chance to go, like make a chance to go. It is, it is a destination for sure. And so then you- you're in Paris. So. What do you think we can learn, like, from, you know, like, big horse shows that are in America? Because it just sounds like that's almost like the dream of drawing people to the sport who aren't familiar with the sport, and they can have a good time, and it seems like a great way to be introduced to it, too. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm here for this show, and I'm going to have a drink with my friends, but, oh, there's also, like, horses jumping really big fences over here. Right, yeah. So, it, because they they really understood the and EEM uh, helped put on the show and they're incredible. They really understand why it needs to be a multi-pronged experience. You can't just have horses. You have to have horses and art and shopping and music and food and drinking and all of the things have to sort of be combined because that is going how you're going to bring people into the sport. And then the other thing that I thought was amazing which this was the first time they'd ever done it was they had a new format of competition. It was called the Riders Masters Cup. Uh, This was the first ever. So that was interesting to see. And I thought that this was such a great and fun way of kind of formatting a competition in a way that spectators that weren't even familiar with show jumping were so into, I'm talking screaming in the stands, waving their country's flag it was nuts these people were really? so into it it was amazing because it was easy to understand and follow and the way that they set it up was so conducive to like the fan experience so essentially what the uh format was is there's two 
rounds. Um, and each round is made up of five duels. You have two teams. So Team Europe and Team USA. It's based on the Ryder Cup that they have in golf, which has become a really popular thing. And uh, each duel is a rider paired up head-to-head with another rider. So a Team Europe rider would be paired up to go head-to-head with a Team USA rider. The first round was a meter 50, and the second round was a meter 45, and it was all... um, it was speed based. So it's, it's different than, you know, the big Grand Prix or the nation's cups. It was this head to head, uh, rivalry. And it was just the most fun thing to watch those riders go head to head. So like, you know, for instance, um, trying to think of what some of the pairings were, uh, you know, one of the, like Laura Kraut would go, um, and she would do her round and she would, you know, if she jumped clear, her time would be a certain time. And then the next rider from Team Europe would go in and jump their round. And if they went clear, then it came down to time. And so whoever won that duel would earn a point for their team. So then oh, it was cool. it was so much fun. So you keep track of the team's points. And then it came down to the final round in this case. Uh, and uh, Lorenzo De Luca who was awesome. He did the last jumping round for team Europe and he went clear and blisteringly fast. It was the most fun thing to watch. And the crowd went bananas when team Europe won, because of course, you know, it's in Paris. So they were really rooting for, you know, the the crowd is much bigger for team Europe. It was so fun. I was like smiling ear to ear the entire time. And I was there for work. Like, you know, I'm like working and I'm like, ah, it's so much fun. I love this. So it was very cool. I think that there's a lot to be, uh, you know, to be said for thinking outside the box with some of the formats of competition. I thought this was really fun for the riders, really fun for the spectators. There's all this build up with the rivalry between Team Europe and Team USA. Um, Philippe Gordat was the Team Europe uh, team captain, and then Robert Ridland was ours. And it was just, it was really fun. So big hats off to uh, the EEM and Longines team that put that together. It was the most fun. What's better than one half pad? Two half pads. Made out of high-resilience foam, the flip half pad is the hardest-working pad. This reversible pad gives you two color options and the ultimate support. Available in dressage and jumper shapes, this innovative half pad is more than good looks. So, guys, I have an updated thought, uh, thought slash, I don't know, it's not a rant. What's the opposite of, like, a rant? Good things to say about the Revitavet system that I talked about a few episodes back. I had just started using it a few episodes ago, and I have kind of a more well-rounded experience with it now. I've used all of the different products that they sent me, and I wanted to just kind of update everybody on what I think about it. So um, just to get a, a little bit into how the RevitaVet therapeutic system works, because a lot of people might not be familiar with it, it is in infrared therapy, which is the same as like light therapy system. So there are these kind of like black um, pads. They're very flexible so they can kind of be molded to 
any part of the horse's body that you need to stick them on. Um, they're black pads that you strap onto the horse and they have um, two different types of light emitting diodes. They're like red and then infrared lights. So you can see the red lights. There are a bunch of little red dots. Uh, and then the infrared lights, which are the deeper penetrating lights, you can't see at all. So they sent me a pole cap, which goes kind of under the horse's halter on top of their head. And um, it's just battery powered. So there's just a button that you push on that and it lights up and then you can leave it on. And then also a back pad. And then they also sent me uh, the long cord with the splitter and then two of the smaller pads that can be used for you know, doing like local therapy on like a leg, for instance, or a shoulder, um, hawk, something like that. So I got to try all of those and, um, it was pretty great. The, the point of infrared therapy, which has been used, this is not new to veterinary medicine. It's been in veterinary medicine for probably 20 years. Uh, it speeds up the healing process. It reduces inflammation and pain. It can uh, stimulate acupuncture points, which is pretty cool um, because I know that we're, you know, we talk about acupuncture a lot on here and how great it is. And it can even heal wounds because the infrared light decreases the chance of infection by killing bacteria. So it's got lots of different practical applications. It can be used. It's used a lot of riders um, do preventative maintenance with it. So it can be used once there's a wound or an injury or a problem, but it can also be used on different settings for preventative maintenance. Um, <clears throat> the infrared lights, which um, you can't see, so they're not the red lights, they can penetrate up to almost two inches. So you can really get quite deep into the leg and muscle, which I didn't even know that when I started using them. I actually thought that the only lights that were working on my horse were the red lights, but the red lights are only half of the lights that are being emitted from the pads, the infrared lights you can't see, and the red lights penetrate a little bit um, more shallow. So, uh, and then the infrared lights that you can't see go really deep. So you can, you can treat, you know, a suspensory ligament tear, for instance, there's a special setting and frequency that you put the machine on. And it can penetrate that deep into the leg. So you can customize therapies um, for the system with different settings. And the great thing about the guidebook that they send you is it details, you know, all types of different problems, like a million different types of problems that your horse might have um, and kind of what, what settings and frequencies you should use to treat that specific problem because cells respond differently to different frequencies. Um, this has been really shown to help things like um, he- speeding up healing for soft tissue tears. Um, and it's non-invasive, of course. So that's kind of the benefit of using it consistently. You can use it as much as you want. Um, it's not going to hurt your horse. There's there's no risk. I mean, you're probably- How often do they recommend to no use risk. it? You can use it every day. You can use it twice a day. Um, but wow. as you use it more and more, there's certain kind of protocols that you can follow. So you might sort of wean back and use it only every other day. It just depends on what you're treating. What you're treating. Oh, that's yeah, cool. yeah. And of course, you know, a bunch of big riders use this, like McLean Ward, 
Buck Davidson, I know, uses the revitivet system a ton. Uh, you know, Jordan Lindstedt, who's a four-star eventer, um, her horse is named Revitavet Capato, so she obviously uses it. Um, <laughs> JJ Tate, you know, for the dressage folks out there. So lots of different riders are using it. As far as my personal experience, uh, when they first sent me the pack, I was a little, it took me some time to figure out how to put everything on my horse. Um, my horse is younger, so she does not stand very well. Um, and so it took some time for her to figure out, like once all of these pads and everything are on her, which, you know, I started with just using the pole cap, um, because I figured that's going to be a hard, it's pinned under their halter. So it's, I thought that would be kind of the least scary for her. Cause she doesn't like things on her legs very much. So I did the pole cap first and it's kind of pinned under their halters. Um, so it can't really go anywhere and kind of got her used to that. Then I worked towards getting her accustomed to the back pad and, uh, then, you know, then worked on using the leg pads. Cause I knew that that would be the most difficult for her to tolerate. She got used to it super fast. I, I mean, I basically, once she got used to me kind of putting any, anything like that on her, it was not a problem at all. And she, you know, she'd never kicked at it or anything like that, um, which I kind of expected that she would. So that was a pleasant surprise. There's definitely no discomfort at all associated with this. She was there, especially the pole cap. She loved wearing that thing. Um, she's a bit of a horse that before you ride, she's a little antsy in the cross ties just because she's a bit of a hotter type. Um, so she's, she, you know, she's kind of raring to go. Usually after the ride, she'll, you know, stand dead still in the cross ties just because she's more tired, but she just has a lot of energy. And I had a lot of success with the pole cap um, in keeping her really calm um, in the cross ties. Like I would put that thing on and she would fall asleep in the cross ties before I would ride her. Which wow. that's interesting. She's never ever done. <laughs> like I was like, did somebody drug her? Like, why does she look like that? She's like standing in the cross ties, like with her head down. So, oh my gosh, there was definitely something very interesting happening there. And then you know, I got on her, and she, you know, she's a, the kind of young horse that the first five or ten minutes she's sharp and she's cold backed and everything. Um, and I did notice a very significant difference in how she acted when I got on her um, after I would use the pull cap and after I would use the back pad. So she, like I mentioned, she's a little cold backed. So I would throw that on her um, before I rode. So there's, of course, like, like I said, there's all sorts of different settings. So if you have a horse that has you know, a specific injury, you can treat it with a different setting. What I mostly used it for was kind of that preventative maintenance. Um, so I put it on her before I rode and let her, you know, wear it for several minutes. And then when I got on her, there was a significant reduction in how cold back she felt. Um, this is, you know, the kind of horse that really would benefit from, you know, warming up on the lunge line kind of long and low before I got on. So when I can get on and sort of immediately sit on her back and put my leg on, that's a pretty big difference. Uh, she just wasn't nearly as sharp and reactive to 
you know, even tightening the girth, she wasn't as reactive because her back was already, <clears throat> was already warmed up. How long do you have to so, leave it on for? So different settings kind but of like just a preventative thing, like what you're saying so before you ride, like ballpark. Yeah. I mean, between five and 10 minutes. No, oh, that's it's, not bad. Yeah. It's quick. And that's, that's another reason that it's very easy to use is that it is, it doesn't take a lot of time. Uh, the pole cap, I relieved that on her, you know, just while I was tacking up most of them, I just, you know, I wasn't very precise with how long I left them on. It was just kind of while after she was groomed and while I was sort of getting her tack ready to go. Um, and I noticed a really big difference. She does not have any specific injuries like leg injuries that I, I mean, luckily that she has right now that I was treating. So I used it more as, you know, kind of increasing circulation, warming up those muscles. Um, there's a major like nitric oxide effect there, um, which is especially why the pole cap kind of has that calming effect. It's really good for horses with TMJ um, and horses that might have kind of like headache-like symptoms from stuff like that. Um, so the pole cap I love and the back pad I love. I just didn't have as much use for the leg pads just for this horse because she doesn't have, she's young. She doesn't have stiff hocks. She doesn't have, you know, a suspensory ligament injury, knock on all the wood. Um, and so a little bit, you know, I didn't have a practical application for that as much, but I don't know. Have you guys like heard about this system at all or like seen it used or ever had any experience with light therapy? Didn't you put it on yourself, Caroline? Didn't you try it like just to feel it on yourself? <laughs> I did. That's awesome. I did. That's when the neighbors saw me. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I have like a lot of jaw and neck pain. And um, there was definitely, there was, I, I was, I definitely felt like pain relief, but I was so convinced that it was like a placebo effect because I'm just always so skeptical of everything. Um, but I mean, it really does make my jaw and neck feel better. It's kind of crazy. And of course, with horses, there's no placebo effect. So like they don't know, you know, like they have an honest value or like an honest response to, you know, any sort of medication or products like they're not there's no placebo effect. So it was interesting to see how well it worked on her. And it definitely made my jaw and neck feel better. And I asked, I asked, um, Tom from Revita Vet, I was like, is it safe for me to use on my head? <laughs> and he was kind of like, uh, like, I think he thought I was really crazy, but it is safe to use. And I could even use it on my arm and I have titanium implants in my arm. So it's, it's very safe to use. There's really no risk. The biggest con I would say, um, because I have to be critical of this aspect of it is the, it is not easy to use on a horse that doesn't want to stand still. It was difficult to, there's, there's not like a super simple, secure way to put all of these pads on the horse. I felt, um, if my horse wasn't standing still, they could easily fall off and there's, you know, a big battery pack and they give you kind of a strap and a pouch and the battery pack goes into the pouch and then you can hang the strap around their neck or over their back. For instance, it's pretty heavy. Um, so 
if you have a horse that doesn't want to stand still and you're trying to treat, you know, the legs, for instance, the, uh, the back leg, and you hang that battery pack in its strap um, over their back and they decide to piece out, like, it's not going to be good because there's, it's not, you know, attached to the horse firmly enough that it would stay on, you know, if the horse decides to, you know, kind of make a break for it. So that's definitely my biggest, the biggest problem that I had with it. You know, I'm sure McLean's horses stand much better than mine. And, you know, like these, these, uh, high level, um, more experienced elite competition horses that are used to having every therapy under the sun for my young horse, that was the only complicated, difficult thing about it was I, you know, I do think that the infrared therapy is amazing and it does work. Um, I felt it on myself and I really noticed it on my horse, you know, for the, for the, the things that I was using it for it, I could certainly notice a difference, but, uh, it was not the easiest to put on the horse. So that was my only con. I would say the battery lasts a really long time, which I thought was nice. Like I didn't have to charge it very often. It's always great because it's just one more thing you don't have to worry about constantly, but I don't know. Maybe I should just train my horse better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's, that is Revitavet. Um, if you are interested in learning more about these products, go to – we'll link it in the show notes um, below, but go to revitavet.com. So, it's like R-E-V-I-T-A-V-E-T.com. There's tons of information on their website about how light therapy works. There's a video that will kind of detail it for you. There's case studies, there's thermal images, and then there's all sorts of um, products. So they have, you know, the back pad, they have the pole cap, they have hoof pads, which is really interesting and awesome. Then they have the complete system, which they send you, you know, all of the, all of the things um, but they do have, you know, products that are formed specifically for body parts. And so, you know, if you have a horse, for instance, that has chronically sore hocks, then you could buy, they have what's called the hock saver. You could buy the product that is shaped for that part of the horse's body. And then I think that that, that difficulty of um, like what I was just talking about of like putting it on the horse that's going to be a lot better. I think it was more difficult for me because I was trying it on a bunch of different places on the horse. But if you have, if you know what you're going to be treating, like buy the product that is shaped for that part of the horse and you're going to have a much easier time. So yeah, that is my review of Revitavet. I think I've used it for uh, like almost two months probably. So I think that it's a good thing. I think, you know, just like any other therapeutic product. It doesn't take the place of any sort of veterinary <clears throat> care by any means, but, you know, we're always looking for ways to, you know, kind of decrease the level of discomfort that comes naturally from being an athlete for these horses. And I think that Revitavet has its place and is a good way to help do that. I do, I do believe in when you, you know, increase circulation to an area of the body, that's, you know, that's going to be a good way to warm up the body for work. It's going to be a good way to bring healthy blood to that area that maybe there's an injury. So I think, you know, the, the science behind it is really interesting. Um, this was my first experience with light therapy at all. Um, and I would say overall, it was a good experience. 
Okay. So I have an interesting question to you guys about sponsorship etiquette and also like ambassadors and how that kind of goes in with amateurs and stuff like that. Um, we had this topic we were bringing up the other day in the barn about what is proper etiquette for sponsorship and how does it like kind of trickle down to the amateur? What do you guys have your thoughts? I mean, I think for us, like, you know, you always try to please everybody and try to do this, but we were really finding that with the amateurs, they can't really do any kind of ambassadors. And I was, I found that really surprising because you can't get any sort of discount. So anybody that is not, I always thought it was like kind of black and white, like you teach lessons, you're a professional, you're, you know, you're riding growing up and stuff like that. You're an amateur. And it really, they're breaking down with this whole social media that it's, it's not. That's really interesting because, you know, I've only been an amateur rider, obviously, but you see, I see so many people I know really well who I would say are the same status of rider as I am. And they have like, they're not sponsored posts, but they're pretty much sponsored posts on their Instagram of like, oh, I'm wearing whatever this sweater is today from this brand. And then it's like hashtag whatever ambassador and they get it for free. And it's, you're an, the social influencer that way. And so Jess, what you're saying is that the rules through U.S. Equestrian are pretty strict about if you're an amateur rider, you aren't allowed to represent any brand whatsoever. Not if you're getting it at any kind of discount is what I'm understanding. Like if they're sending you free stuff. If they're sending you free stuff, like that technically promotes you as a professional. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I think I think there are a lot of writers out there who don't know it. that. Yeah. And I had a friend like call me because she's like total like walking billboard. She says she's like the typical adult amateur, you know, like she's like, mm-hmm. I'm of course an adult amateur. And she got approached about teaching lessons and she's like, can I, you know, donate the money to a charity or something like that? She actually called the USEF and she can't, she can't take any kind of money, even if like, I mean, cause she's like, I, I don't want the money for myself. Like I'll give it to a charity, but also like in the town, she doesn't want to like start just teaching for free and setting that precedent that it's okay. So she was trying to like find some sort of like can I do this for charity? Can I do this to this? Nope. Cannot take a dime. Wow. Like I am the typical adult amateur and I was so shocked about it. And it was kind of interesting because you see all these people taking products. And like you said, they're posting all over social media and they're basically ambassadors for them and use my code. And then I was, I was in, kind of like, oh, well, they must be professionals. And in the eventing world, it's not really that big of a difference between amateur and professional. But in the show jump world, it's, I mean, in other worlds as well, like there's a ton of amateur classes. Oh yeah. Like the hunters and stuff, you know, like it's everything. There's a very clearly defined line. And it's interesting because I, I don't want to like peg this on younger people, but I would say the the younger generation that's coming up in, you know, in, quest- in equestrian sports right now, that is just like rampant. But I, I think they just don't know. So I don't know if you're a junior, if that's any different either. But I just feel like this whole persona that people, this branding, you know, like be it, build your own brand on social media, that's part of it. And there are so many companies out there uh, you, you know, like even small, like started on Etsy, kind of cool, hip 
t-shirts and horse products kind of company is like they all live on these ambassador programs but do you, I know. you know like so how does that work i just is it not that enforced or or what is what is I right i think and what's they're wrong? starting to enforce it quite a bit um especially like riders and stuff that uh yeah, because what you're saying is when you're basically the, all these little products and stuff, uh, technically you can't, you can promote a product as long as you're buying it at the full price. So Got if it. you're buying products at a full price and then reviewing them, which a lot of blogs do, you know, mm-hmm. you can do that. Like that is totally fine. Apparently they were right. This- but then like, what's the incentive for like anyone to get involved in brands, you know, exactly. like that's it kills like the incentive. And so like the feedback of that is that people aren't going to want to, like, I don't, I don't see why, like, you know, why would anyone do that? That kind of spoils it. Right. So I'm reading this story uh, right now from the Chronicle of the Horse that kind of talks about this and they, they have a good example. So there's this girl, Sarah Mahoney that I know, and she runs the brand adultamystrong.com. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. guys have heard about it. And she's a hunter rider and she started an ambassador program, you know, so that because she sells merch. So she sells like adult Amy Strong baby pads and shirts and stuff like that. So I guess in this story, um, the Chronicle of the Horse interviewed Sarah and they're saying that uh, when her blog started kind of taking off, she re- she reached out to U.S. Equestrian to kind of talk to them about how could she create an ambassador program that wouldn't violate the amateur rule. And she said that instead of like giving them a ton of free stuff, uh, they get to blog about their experiences as being an adult amateur, kind of like what you're saying, just like they get to write for the blog, but also they have to buy all the stuff from Sarah for full price. So they're not getting, it, getting anything for free. And I think that makes it hard. I mean... Because what's the incentive to do it then? You know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess we, we're if you so just want a platform, but anybody can have a platform yeah. anywhere. And that's the thing is like for us, like we only back products that we truly 100%, you know, stand behind. We've used most, like I bet probably 95% of our products that we're sponsored by, we used them first. And then loved yep. them so much. And then, yeah. then you became, you know, it was like a whole process type thing. It wasn't somebody walked up and was like, well, you guys promote my product. And we well, won't do that unless like we're a hundred percent. We love this. We've used it. You know, we can passionately talk about it. And, well, and so- that's, that's a great point because I feel like that, like when, when r- other people look at you and Doug as professionals and you, you run a very professional program, there is an inherent trust then because they know mm-hmm. if you ride in an eco goal pad and Doug rides in an eco goal pad, you guys actually believe in those products. So then you create the kind of ambassador program that I think a brand would want. And that's why know- I think it's getting away from that, you know, like finding yeah. people that truly love their, I mean, I bought the products at full price, most of them, you know, right. I think, um, the funniest is Doug was, you know, everybody was like, oh, Eco Gold, Eco Gold. And when we first met, I- I've honestly used Eco Gold pads since the very, very beginning. I think when they first came out, um, my groom ended up meeting Patricia at a horse show, funny enough. And we were going over to Europe and my horse's pad slipped horribly. My saddle, I would get off like every five minutes. It was horrible. Ugh, it was, uh, <laughs> and, and he was, and he was so narrow and he was perfect. I mean, he was my four-star horse. And so she's like telling Patricia about this. And Patricia's like, I just 
you know, got this company. Literally, I took it over to England, used the pads, became obsessed. Probably dated Doug like five, seven years later. Like this is way like <laughs> And I had every, like all my horses were in Eagle Gold. I was like obsessed with them. And he's like, oh, that's just what everybody, it's like, you know, the bandwagon. And I'm like, uh, no, it's because. Because it freaking works. Yeah. And like, like <laughs> whatever. He's like, no, he like literally wouldn't use them. And so then finally he had a horse that was like slipping. And I was like, um, if you'd put my pad on, I promise it would help you. Cause he's using all like the non-slip things that don't work. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm, we're two separate businesses at this point. I didn't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Like snooze, you lose, you're making your life harder. (laughs) And then he is now like obsessed and like his big horse Quinn, same thing. He's like, I can't use anything else, but the EcoGold pads and like, is now like a snob (laughs) about it. But because we become so passionate about it, we that's when we'll stand behind stuff. And it's not just, Hey, I got 15% off. Let's use this. Like I would buy the products, whether I got them at a discount or not, because I, it's not like you're sending out an email being like, who wants to give us free stuff? We'll take anything like, no. And, you know, and I think that's part of like where I guess it's going to have to go because you're going to end up having everybody become professionals. I assume. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what yeah, do you- like, do you guys think that like more people are going to file as professionals because of this rule? Or do you think that brand ambassadorship is just going to go way down? I, I can't imagine that all these AMEs and like junior riders can, you're going to, I mean, I'm sure maybe some of them, but I, I feel like it's, it's something they see that's happening outside of the horse world because you just see it on your Instagram feed. They're like people who are literally famous because they're ambassadors and sell stuff. And I know friends from college who started like a WordPress fashion blog in 2009. And now that's like literally their jobs, you know? So I think people see this as like a way to be entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, uh, as a young person and they're trying to combine their passions and find companies that work with them, which is cool. I think that's sort of neat that people can do that. But I also see the reason why the rule is why the rule exists because yeah. you shouldn't just be getting crap for free and then being able to post a nice picture of it and not, you know what I mean? Cause then, I mean, I, it, it's interesting. Like I'm as a journalist too, like Caroline, we review stuff all the time. It's what we do, but we right. are, we're trained reporters to be objective in what we're reviewing. <laughs> and we study this product pretty intensely for a certain amount of time. And then half the time we have to give the product back anyway. It's not something we get to keep, but we're, we're putting Yeah, like through. I don't get to keep the revive event system. Like, it's not like I'm, I had to say like. That you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Like. Well, so. And I think that's almost a better way on honestly getting real opinions about stuff. Like that's the same, you know, kind of like we did our homework on these products that we stand behind and support and everything else is because we bought them to start with, you know, or, and then, you know, we just happen to be that, oh, well, it would help us out that, you know, your name attached to it would help. And I think that it's probably going to end up, I assuming the brand ambassador is going to end up more like that. Right. I mean, because there is a very clear line when you read a review in a magazine or something like that, that journalists have a different set of ethics, I would say, on what we're allowed to say and how we review things. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and I'm that's not, interesting. 
I'm not getting paid by another company to write this review. So I'm going yeah. to, you know what I mean? I'm going to, it's my job if I'm writing for a mass audience to tell them exactly what I think the good, bad, and the ugly. But for someone who might be getting some discounts from some store online, if they post a bunch of pictures of themselves mm-hmm. in the t-shirt on their Instagram, is that really credible or believable or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's different okay. than watch, watching Doug go around and going, okay, I know he rides in this. And so I think I want to try that product too, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I think it will get more out of control before they do something to kind of temper it. Right? I think they're doing something. I mean, I think there are, I mean, I'm not sure the brand ambassador, but I know like the rider and the amateur status and stuff where your classes, I know they have gotten after a couple of people for riding in the wrong classes and getting fined and then taking mm. away their prize money and stuff. Basically, if you were in, you know, the low child adult and you were actually training horses and stuff like that, that I'm not sure it's specifically to sponsorship, that I do know there have been a couple of people that have been talked to and notified that they're no longer amateurs, that they're professionals. So maybe they'll start doing it with the sponsorship stuff, but it's kind of an interesting point. Yeah. And I think if anyone out there has direct experience with this happening, like maybe they, you know, the USDF has enforced the rule on them or, you know, any sort of like interesting insights or opinions on this, like shoot us an email or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter because we, you know, it's, these are our experiences and this is kind of what we know, but I think everyone, you know, this is such a wide net of people that's being affected. Um, you know, I wonder if it is affecting people. I'd love for people to write in and tell us what their experiences are in here. You know, I'd love to, or if they have any other questions about sponsorship and etiquette and what they see, you know? Yeah, for sure. Our email, just for those that don't know is hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Cause I'd love to know their thoughts on like, do they think the same as what we are? You know, do they find that this is a bigger deal or it's no big deal at all? And yeah, it's just tricky. Cause like, like the example I said before, you can have your own blog. You can have people who pay you to put an ad on your blog, but your trainer who could be a professional can't give you a saddle or hats, like you said, that they get from a sponsor and you can't receive anything at a discounted price. So it is, it is sort of tricky on like, where can you draw the line and still technically be an amateur? It's hard enough to be an amateur. Do we have to make it harder? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I asked Doug years ago, I said, do you think I can go back to being an amateur? He said, uh, on what planet? (laughs) Doug. So cheeky, Doug. Heels Down Magazine delivers original, thought-provoking, inspiring stories to your phone in an interactive package every month. Subscribe for a year and get two months free. Okay, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Um, Jess, get us started. I can tell you my thorn because it is in my side, literally. Uh-oh. I'm starting to feel a little bit of pain and like he's kicking my chest. Oh no. So oh my it's, gosh. It's been good. The pregnancy's all going well and he's healthy, but oh my gosh, he loves to like kick my rib cage and I'm like, oh. And so, oh my God, that sounds awful. 
Oh God. It's literally like a thorn in your side. So that was like all the time or is it like only when you're trying to sleep or is it like any time? I'm a really good sleeper. So (laughs) I usually don't have any problem with that. It's normally, um, it's just been the last couple of days worse, but I don't know, like every couple hours and then like, but it gets higher and higher. So it's like more like heartburn feeling and you're like, Oh, it's literally poking at you and it's his foot. Um, (laughs) it's so weird. It is so weird. I'm telling you. So that would be my thorn because it feels like a thorn. And then my rose would be. Doug and I went to Savannah this past weekend for his birthday. And that was a cool little town. We'd never been. So. Oh, really? I love Savannah. That's awesome. It was was really cool. We stayed right on the river and like walked around and had great seafood, which I love. And so that would be my rose. Oh yeah. What about you, Caroline? I think my rose is that I ate an entire box of macaroni and cheese today. It's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I also ate it out of the pot. What I didn't kind? put it in a bowl. Uh, I love Aunt, those days. Annie's, like the white cheddar mac and cheese. Oh, oh God, it's so that's good. That's a good one. That is a good yeah. one. I'm like okay, a so snob. Here's like an insider tip that I'm going to let you guys in on. Um, put <laughs> instead of milk, this is what I started doing. Instead of milk with the cheese, Put if you put in, um, I think it's like a half cup of Greek yogurt. It makes it so much better. Like it is next level. It makes it kind of like a little tangy, but thicker. And then I guess if you want to make an argument for nutrition, there's like a little more protein in your mac and cheese. The <laughs> other <you> trick, <laughs> the other trick for mac and cheese out of a box is follow the instructions, but add a little bit of mayonnaise and it makes it really Ooh, good. I bet mm-hmm. that is good. That's another insider tip. Wow, I also like to top it with Frank's hot sauce if I want kind of a kick and it's really, it's really, really good. We do a lot of putting, slicing up chicken sausage and putting it in Annie's mac and cheese and putting hot sauce on top or stirring in some leafy greens like kale or something like that to convince ourselves it healthy. it's healthy. <laughs> when you eat the whole box, it really isn't healthy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so literally had to give it up at one point because it was almost like, you know, it was bad. It's so good. good. It's so good. I don't do that often, but when I do, you I simultaneously hard. love myself and hate myself at the same time. I like yeah. skip that aisle at the grocery store. Yeah, that's probably probably what I should do. Uh, that's my rose. My and thorn. Probably your is, thorn. <laughs> it's kind of also my thorn. Well, my thorn is just that. You know, we have traveled internationally for other shows, but for whatever reason, the jet lag from this trip is kicking my butt. Like I am exhausted and I was tired the entire show. Like I never adjusted to the time change. I was up until almost 4 a.m. every night because I was just wide awake. It was really rough. And I took ZQL and, you know, made myself tea and and tried to, make a bedtime ritual there. And I just never adjusted to the time change. And now that I'm home, I'm just wiped it. So jet lag is real. It's a real thing. That's my thorn, but at least I don't have a baby kicking me in the ribs. So 
can't really complain too much. <laughs> Justine, what about you? Uh, um, I bought a new truck, so that's my. Oh my rose. god! Oh, what'd you buy? <laughs> Big rose. Yeah, just an F one fifty, but it's really fancy, and I like it a lot. Yeah, nice. so, yeah. Uh, it's great because uh, you know it's very practical when I'm at the barn, but then it is like highly impractical at my house in my job because I live in a city. So trying to park that right. thing is like uh, it's going to be an adventure. So my and <laughs> so I bought the truck on Black Friday and I didn't even tell Alex. I just like went and bought it and like <laughs> took a picture. <laughs> And he was like, what is this? And I was like, I bought this. And he went, okay. <laughs> and that oh, was our conversation. About it. <laughs> that was, that was the gamble. Cause he could have really lost it on you. And well, well you're brave. we are married, but it's like, he's not paying, he's not paying the car payment. I am. It's not affecting his life. So, yeah, that's true. but, <laughs> but he was really good about it. He was just like, oh, okay, cool. I guess. Um, <laughs> And then my thorn was I had to make a really tough decision this weekend. I had bought tickets to see Lady Gaga. And then Alex had planned this weekend for us to go up to Tallahassee to see a football game and like spend a weekend away and got like a really adorable Airbnb. And so then I had like all week, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? Do I tell my husband, no, I don't want to go on this romantic weekend with you and go to Lady Gaga? Or- or do I, I really bite? hope you picked the weekend. <laughs> or do I bite the bullet? And yeah. So I sold my Lady Gaga ticket for a fraction of what I paid for it. Uh, wow. And I did the weekend away, but it was okay. We had a really nice weekend. So, and I did miss Lady Gaga. So whatever. That's my life. I didn't know you were such a Lady Gaga fan. It's I very know. Interesting. I like I'm not really. I'm not really. I, I just, do feel like her concerts would be incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it was actually, I was going to the concert with my mom, so it wasn't like, you know, it was like, sorry, mom, and so she just sold my ticket to some, like, her friend, but I already paid for the ticket, the show was sold out, and it was, like, on the fence up until, like, four days before the concert, so then I sold the ticket to her friend at, like, a highly discounted What's price, up, so I took a bit on it, you know what I mean? Yeah, wow. But, so. That was no, the right thing to do, I think you, you made it, the right you did, Yeah, I think you made the right choice there. Okay. I'm still a little salty about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. We know. Uh, all right. So it's time for mailbag, guys. And we've got a really good question this week from Taylor, who uh, lives in California. And let me read her question. Hi, my name is Taylor, and I absolutely adore your podcast. Thank you so much. Taylor, really you're a gem. Love you. <laughs> It makes my drive from San Diego so much more enjoyable. Plus, it makes me want to be friends with y'all. We want to be your friend, too. So, Taylor says, as a former eventer who is aiming to compete again in 2018 and now a mental health therapist, I'm trying to create a business specializing in performance psychology aimed at horseback riders. So, her question is, I was wondering, have you ever seen someone for performance-based problems? And if so, was it helpful? If not, would you consider it? Or do you know anyone who has? I found many people who don't want to talk about it or about the things they struggle with most, like doubt, fear, worry, blanking out, et cetera, all the things we feel. Um, And so anyways, that's our question. So you guys, I mean, 
Jess, especially since you've competed at like, you know, the top levels of the sport, I imagine that the stress of that can be all encompassing, all encompassing sometimes. So have you ever thought about or like seeing someone to talk about that to help you manage how you're feeling? I, I haven't personally, but I'm pretty sure not that everybody knows me well enough, but you can kind of get a gist. Like, I'm not really scared to talk to anybody. I'm pretty sure the wall would listen to me <laughs> and <laughs> tell me all about my problems. So, unfortunately, I probably am not the person that would <laughs> need to go see somebody. But I think that it would be good because I think there are other up-level riders that have a little bit, you know, fear, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, that would want to talk to somebody and that might not be opened to just talking to the wall. So, I mean, I think it'd be a great idea. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see how their performance really improves seeing somebody. Cause I think it would definitely be something worthwhile that people would take advantage of. I mean, I, that's just my opinion though, but I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people already like there's sports psychologists out there that especially, um, golf and everything else. I've read a couple books, um, about like mental game, just like get you in the mood. But I think it, I think it'd be a beneficial. What do you guys think? Well, I never have either, but I have always wanted to. So it's not even something I would consider. It's something that I plan to do um, and really want to do. Uh, I've looked around in my area and haven't really found anyone directly in my area. So, I, but I think sports psychology is really growing uh, because people are realizing how important the mental game aspect of not, I mean, all sports in general, but I feel that riding is so mental. It's so, so, so mental. Uh, even things like coming back from a traumatic fall or an injury, stuff like that. I know that people have seen sports psychologists for those types of problems. Uh, blanking out. I have a friend that's really, really bad about blanking out um, like really bad. I don't know anyone that has gone off course as much as she has. She probably holds some sort of record. Uh, so, you know, there, there are people that blank out for really long periods of time. Um, and you know, things like, uh, mental strategies to remember your course, which even the top riders at the Longines masters of Paris this past weekend, one of the riders went off course. It happens to absolutely everybody. Um, so I think sports psychology is super important. I think Taylor, you're a complete badass. You sound like the coolest person on the planet. Um, and I think you should absolutely go for it. I think that there would be a lot of horseback riders that would really, you know, be interested in taking, um, advantage of, you know, a, a performance psychologist that specializes in their sport. Um, and if you do it, you know, and go for it, like email us, like come on the podcast, like talk to us. Yeah. That would be amazing. Justine, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I've seen psychologists and other aspects of my life, not necessarily for sports stuff, just to like help through difficult periods of yeah. time in life. And it was incredibly beneficial to me. And I remember how awkward it felt the first time. And then after you like have that aha moment of like how helpful it can be. Or I'm like, I want to use this for everything. You know, I want, I want to, mm -hmm. you know, I want somebody yeah. to talk to you at work. And, uh, and I think especially in 
in equestrian sports, like your trainer fills the fills that void and you have other yes. people who who kind of fall into that. But I, you know, growing up when I was riding very competitively as a junior, my trainer was everything. They were my coach, they were, you know, my drill sergeant, but they were all they were my mom and and they were also the person I went to when I needed life advice on anything. So I think we're we are in a unique sport where we have some of that built in, but I honestly but I there's there's never a period of your life that I don't think you could benefit from talking to someone who's trained professionally and how to help you reach your goals. Yeah, for sure. I'm a very, uh, my friends and I say all the time that everybody should have a psychologist because there's just, there's never a time that it's like talking to somebody that can help you work through your problems. Even if you don't think that you have a ton of problems, everybody does. And yeah. doubt and doubt and fear and imposter syndrome, everyone yeah. experiences that everywhere, everywhere in everywhere. the saddle, everywhere. Like there's just, you're not, you're, you know, so don't, don't hold it up. That is the worst thing you can do. Find somebody to talk to like Taylor. Taylor, go for it. That sounds amazing. Um, and if you guys want to send us an email um, to ask us a question, Please and have send us, us read your mailbag question um we have been getting some really good ones and we're really really loving it it truly is when we get these emails my the high, it's a highlight of my day to read them so thank you so much for sending them we're really enjoying going through some of these questions the email address is hello at heelsdownmedia.com uh if you don't want to email us because that ain't your thing then just facebook us or about I mean do you know like come on it's like not that hard to get a hold of people anymore like just do it um and don't forget to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and if you want to hear more from us you can check out heels down magazine it's an interactive digital magazine on your phone or tablet so you can take it anywhere you go even Paris and you can download it on iTunes or Google Play or check out our website at heelsdownmag.com We will be releasing episodes of Feels Down Happy Hour on the second and last Fridays of each month. And you can get the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. Search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and super easy to use. Okay, guys, it's time to come up with our cheers for the episode. Hmm. I think, well, I think, like, cheers to just having a baby soon. Because oh yeah. Like so soon. It's, it's yeah. almost so time. soon. We're only a couple weeks away. Oh, that's nuts. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, you should see I think, it getting bigger by the day. I think that that's got to be our cheers. Like cheers to you feeling well for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And everything going smoothly. If we don't get to talk to you again before that happens, we're thinking of you. Everything's going to go amazing. So cheers to just having a successful last few weeks of her pregnancy. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.